Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet and I'm here with Rachel Madel. Hey, how's it going, Rachel? It's going so good. It's uh, it's Monday morning and I'm feeling I'm feeling excited for the week. Now, tell me, just before, you were teasing me a little bit before we hit the record button, saying that you did something awesome last night. What was, what, what did you do? What did you do last night? So, I got VIP tickets to the Disney edition of American Idol last night. So, I have a friend who is a producer of the show, and last minute he was like, do you want to come to the show tonight? And I was like, yes. So, me and two of my girlfriends, uh, we went. And it was so fun. We got like to go backstage and we got really great seats and we got to see all the judges. And it was just such an interesting thing to watch uh, because obviously it's a TV show and it's live. And so it would just like, you know, we'd be like on and cheering. And then, you know, we would go to commercial break and like the crews would come out. Like there were like 10 people that would run up to the judges with like hair, makeup, like social media stuff. They would bring them water and snacks. And it was just so cool. That sounds like amazing. So how does it work? I mean, do you were there a bunch of different contestants and you came and you cheered for them or? So yeah, so it's um, right now in American Idol, they're at the top 10. Of course, they keep like whittling them down. They like sent two people home last night. So I guess in three weeks is the finale. But yeah, it was, but it was the Disney edition. So they all had to sing Disney songs, which I was obsessed with. And yeah, it was just really, really cool to watch and especially to see the behind the scenes. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was really cool being a VIP. We got to meet some of the contestants, uh, but they all did amazing. All the performances were so cool. And yeah, it was, it was really fun. Oh, we were just watching American Isle over Bring Break. And so, and you were there live. I was there. Well, you know what I did? I was like texting my family frantically, like, watch American Idol tonight. Like, I'm going to be on TV. Because <laughs> my, my friend, he's a producer. He's like, oh, yeah. I was like, I'm definitely going to, you know, have the cameraman, like, shoot your way. I'm like, of course you would. Uh, but it was really, really, a really wonderful experience. And, um, yeah, it was just cool to see behind the scenes. I was just, like, staring at Lionel Richie and Katy Perry. And I was so close to them. Like, Lionel Richie was, like, looking up and, like, talking to the audience. And I was part of that. So it just felt really cool. So if I had watched live, I would have seen you in the background? Yeah. My mom said she saw me a few times. She's like, you're in the third row. I was like, I am in the third row. She's like, I saw that blonde hair. <laughs> All right. So there's the challenge, right? If someone had DVR'd it and can find Rachel in the background, we need a screenshot then thrown up in the Google or in the Facebook group. That would be awesome. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard because I feel like they don't focus a lot on the audience. They kind of catch the audience and then they cut back. Um, but yeah, I was right... I was on Lionel Richie's side. So if you're watching, I'm going to give you a hint. I was on his side. Now, what I think is so amazing about this story, Rachel, is that, you know, it really ties into what happens in schools. Let me explain what I, what I mean by that, is that you came on saying, I have this like exciting story to tell you. There's this thing I want to talk about because it's something that doesn't happen all the, all the time. If I asked you, hey, how was your Sunday? You'd be like, yeah you know, it's fine. Same as every other Sunday, you know, I went outside, went for a walk, whatever, you know what I mean? Like there's not much to talk about on any given Sunday, but this particular day you had this super exciting novel thing that just, and you can see how much communication came out of it, right? How much interaction came out of it. And I could see that happening in schools all the time, you know, like when kids, any kid gets in the backseat of their car and the, the mom or dad goes, Hey, so what'd you do at school today? The answer is always, 
Yeah, the same thing I did yesterday or nothing, nothing much. (laughs) Nothing much. But when something amazing happens, like you get tickets to go to uh, American Idol and it happens to be the Disney edition. So you know the songs, you know, and you want to kind of sing along and get into it. Suddenly there's this whole world of language that comes spelling out, you know, and that same thing happens at school when a deer smashed through the window and a deer started running through the hallways that happened in one of our schools, which is why I bring it up. Suddenly wow. we talk about, you know, when um, a bunch of the, the seniors in our school captured all these crickets and let the crickets go. And suddenly there's, there's something to talk about when Miss so-and-so fell and she hurt her knee. Now there's something to talk about. And so I think from a speech and language perspective and from a classroom design perspective, you could really be engineering the environment to be thinking about what kind of novel things do I want to have my kids talk about, right? What's different that happened today that didn't happen yesterday? Absolutely. I just spoke about this at the conference that I was presenting at in Pennsylvania. And the reason I started talking about it was because I went to a classroom recently and I was observing a student. And the the teacher, very well-meaning, was having him create sentences on his device. So they were looking at pictures and they were creating sentences, which, you know, theoretically is a great activity. Um, But these sentences were so boring. It was like, the dog is black. The cat is sitting. And I'm like, oh my God. And this kid started having all types of behaviors. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. I would be having behaviors if somebody was making me write sentences that were that boring. Sorry, Rachel, you're going to have to repeat that because I totally fell asleep while you were telling those sentences. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, we talk about things that are different, like you said, that are weird, that are unusual, that are silly. Like we talk about things that are remarkable. And so we really need to think about that. Now, obviously, when we're starting, you know, language with kids, like we have to kind of teach some basic foundations, some basic verbs, you know, that might not be as exciting, like walking and, but thinking through the lens of like, is this exciting? Is this remarkable? Especially with the stimuli that you're using. I am a really big fan of using really fun YouTube videos to do something like sentence writing or sentence formulation. Um, I love that the game bubble talk. I don't know if you've heard of that one or seen that one, Chris, but it's like these really funny, weird pictures. Um, and some of them are inappropriate. So definitely go through some of them. Cause I'm like, Ooh, like the kid like turns one over and I'm like, Oh, Oh no, <laughs> that should have been like trashed. <laughs> so anyway, go through the box before you just like put it in front of the kids. But, um, anything that's really interesting and unique, because at the end of the day, I also want to see our kids generalizing things, right? Are they able to look at a picture that they definitely have never seen before because it's so weird or unusual and create something, you know, an amazing sentence out of it? So I think it's just so important when we're thinking about our clinical practice. You know, and I think it's an easy trap to fall into to forget to do that because so often kids, you and I were probably very much like this, that when we were in school, we were very compliant. You know, most kids are, my kids are. You know, you go to school, you follow the rules, you do what your teacher asks, you get through your day. But getting through your day like that does not necessarily equal making for good conversation. You know, it doesn't make for good language experiences. You have to give them something to talk talk about, you know? Exactly. And the the biggest takeaway I try to impress upon teachers and SLPs is that they might be able to make that sentence, but is that going to generalize? 
No, probably not because they're not motivated. They're not excited. The things that generalize to spontaneous communication are the things that kids are really excited to talk about. And that's what we're always trying to do, right? The, the million dollar question, how can we generalize what's happening in our therapy sessions to a child's everyday experience? Um, step one, find things that are exciting and intrinsically motivating, which we talk about all the time on this podcast. So speaking of, of teachers trying to kind of think through their, their how to make things more interesting to talk about. So we did get some questions. We thought maybe we'd, we'd answer a question here uh, before we get into like a, a listener episode uh, again, because we still have plenty of questions we have to get through. We thought we'd jump to one. Does that sound like a good plan? Yeah, I'm really excited about that. Okay, so this is from Miss Carmen. I have to say Miss Carmen like that because I know Miss Carmen. Miss Carmen was my daughter's preschool teacher back in the day, right? My daughter's in, at the time of this recording, she's in fifth grade. So back in the preschool days, she had Miss Carmen. And Miss Carmen reached out to me a couple weeks ago uh, on Facebook and she asked this question, right? She said, uh, I'm reaching out to you because of your expertise. I was hoping you could guide me, direct me, or give me advice on a preschool student that has severe apraxia. I was looking for an app that we could use with her or resources for mom to look into. Currently, from what I understand, the mom is sharing that her daughter is the worst case the speech-language pathologist has ever come across with regard to severe apraxia. I just really want to be able to find something for her to use and to communicate. She does understand what I mean when I speak to her and functions within the classroom well. I then followed up with some extra questions. I asked how, like, how old she was and what her experience had been, and she says she'll be five this March. This is a five-year-old that is, is not using any many words. I think I asked her that, like how many words, and she said here, I would describe her making humming sounds with pitch deviation, if that makes any sense. Like, hmm, 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 She has not used words at school, but mom has shared that she has been able to say a few words at home and with her therapist. So five years old, not using many words. She goes on to say she does have an iPad that she can use at school. Are there any apps I can download that could teach her how to communicate? Rachel, are there any apps that we can use? I mean, there's plenty of apps we can use. Oh man, there's so I have so many thoughts about this question. Like so many. Let's start with describing a child as the worst case. I mean, come on guys, like you should never be telling a parent, this is the worst case I've ever had. <laughs> There's no quicker way to destroy a parent's hope than to say, this is the worst case I've ever had. You know, so, and I'm, I'm sure our dear listeners aren't going into, you know, IP meetings or, or you know, parent consults with, with that sentiment, but I think it's a really important one. Um, you know, parents don't need to know this is the worst case you've ever had, you know, and I think sometimes we use that as clinicians because we're like, we want you to understand that our therapy is important. And, you know, we try to get parents to buy into, you know, doing the homework and things like that with these like scare tactics. Um, there's a better way. <laughs> we don't need to make parents who are already worried about their child worry even more and, you know, have sleepless nights because, you know, of words that we said to them that may or may not, you know, have any, you know, real significance on their ability to follow through with carryover and all these things, you know? So anyway, I think that that was my, my first red flag when I was listening to that was like, oh man, like, please don't ever do that. Um, the second thing is a five-year-old who basically only has a few words. Why has nobody recommended an AAC assessment for a five-year-old? I mean, I was like assuming when you said preschool teacher, Chris, this was going to be a three-year-old. But then when I heard, oh, they're almost a kindergartner, 
oh man, it just breaks my heart, especially for kids with apraxia of speech. You know, we don't have to delay a child's expressive language skills while their articulation skills catch up. I see that all too often. You know, parents are just spending tons of time and resources on clinicians, um, high frequency. We know with apraxia of speech, high frequency, um, you know, shorter duration, high frequency sessions are really important. If children aren't, you know, learning language, they just keep becoming more and more language delayed, which is why AAC is so valuable. But I think it goes again with some of those myths that parents are like, well, I don't want my child to use a device like they can talk they're just like you know we can't understand them yet so i don't know chris what do you think you know rachel back to the first point there about about saying this is the worst case of of apraxia you've ever seen you know there there are tv shows right and if you've seen tv shows where a character it's there's this redemption arc right they start off as this real vile nasty character and by the end of the series they've turned into kind of the hero because they've gone from jerk to awesome person uh because of all the experiences throughout the show that's the plot of the show that is not at all what we want to do in speech therapy you don't have to do that you can just take a student where they are without putting any sort of quantifier on top of it, especially subjective quantifier. You don't have to use a, a descriptive adjective like the worst case ever. You can just use the numbers to let them stand for themselves. To the second point there about selecting an app and about having someone be the age of five and they're still not referred to AAC. Rachel, this is my own concern, is that you and I get to talk once a week and you and I surround ourselves in a community with people who, who would not do that, right? Who would, uh, by the age of three, if someone is, is maybe, maybe even earlier, but definitely by the age of three, if you this student was being described the way Miss Carmen is describing the student, we'd have them trying stuff, you know, whatever that stuff might be, uh, at least a low-tech board, but I know I, I would definitely be thinking of a more robust language system by the age of three. And this student's the age of five and getting speech therapy, and this speech therapist has not been considering uh, AAC. And so it makes me nervous that I have surrounded myself, because I, I wonder uh, out there, well, geez, everyone must think like me, right? Like everyone, I, I've been doing this podcast with you for how long now, Rachel? You know what I mean? Like all the people that I know would totally be, be doing that. How many more people out there still need to hear the message that when you're uh, you're the age, th age three and you don't have any words or you only have a limited number of words, that you should be using some sort of AAC device? And it just feels like, man, we still have a long way to go. You know, these are the reminders that, that, that for me to get out of my little bubble and recognize that there's a lot of awareness level knowledge that needs to be spread to people. Yeah. And, you know, it's probably the listeners of this podcast probably understand that. It's other SLPs who have not learned about our podcast yet. Um, you know, so, so how can we help spread that message? One, I think that you see these Facebook groups like AAC for the SLP, for example, groups like that, where we can all share what we know. Um, I also think, you know, I was actually, what popped into my head, Chris, was we need to go on the speech science podcast and maybe we can reach a broader audience. We can go, we can do a public service announcement <laughs> to all SLPs, you know, um, because I think that it's not, it's not these clinicians are, you know, not well-meaning. It's just, they don't know. And I just think that we just need to remind clinicians when you don't know, always err on the side of refer, right? Like there's some cases where, you know, the other day I was doing assessment. I'm like, should I refer to an ENT? And if I have that thought, just do it. 
just do it. Because, you know, if that thought popped into my head, there was a reason for that. And so I always just err on the side of caution. And, I, and I'm very vocal with parents about that. Like, you know, it's probably nothing, but let's just err on the side of caution. Um, let's err on the side of caution when we're referring out to other clinicians. Let's err on the side of caution when we're recommending kids to just get an assessment. Um, let's err on that side when we're thinking about, you know, consulting with AAC and trying to get an AAC assessment. There's more harm in not doing that, I think. You know, Rachel, so when I do, uh, like I just got back from uh, Iowa and I did a keynote, the way I start out that keynote is with the Ice Bucket Challenge. I have not done the Ice Bucket Challenge, but I know exactly what it is. And I hate ice and buckets. So no, I didn't do it. (laughs) Okay. Well, obviously you've, you've heard of the Ice Bucket Challenge. You know people who have done it, right? It was super popular. Many people have done it. Do you know what the outcome of the Ice Bucket Challenge was? I mean, building awareness, right? Absolutely. They, they raised tons and tons of money. They increased awareness. And then there was a breakthrough because challenges work, right? And so I uh, start my keynotes out by saying I have this obligated to share challenge, meaning if there's something that resonates with you in this conference, because you're keynoting for a conference, it's not something that you just take back to your school and you implement with your students. You are obligated to share. I am issuing you a challenge like the ice bucket challenge. You're obligated to share something you learned from this conference. And that is how I feel like this is how we get the word out to all the other speech therapists, this student's speech therapist and Miss Carmen's student and that particular speech therapist. How is that speech therapist going to know? It's all of us that are listening to this podcast right now have to feel obligated to share in some other Facebook group. And most of the people in the AAC for the SLP Facebook group would already be doing what you and I said. They, we have to go find some other speech therapy group and we have to just let them know, like by age three, if a student is not using their, their speech as their primary form of communication, then we need to be looking at robust language system for AAC to get them there. I think that that would be a great episode, Chris. Can't you see that being an awesome episode, like obligated to share? And then the whole episode is dedicated to things that we need all SLPs to know. And then they can just share the episode. Okay. So so maybe we ask the Facebook group to put what they think we should share in that episode. Yes. It's almost like the universal truths, but I think geared a little bit more towards clinicians who don't know anything about AAC. Yes. Okay. Let's do it. Let's do it. Now, as far as the rest of the stuff in this episode, uh, this is a small talk episode. So what people are about to hear is uh, different interviews, short interviews with people who have previously been on the podcast. They were interviews that we've had before, and we asked them to do extended time. Um, so what you're about to hear is Aaron Sheldon. I got to spend some time with Aaron Sheldon. I mentioned that before in a previous podcast. Uh, and so I asked her for another five to 10 minutes of her time to talk about some of the stuff that she was talking about at a conference. We're going to talk to Kelly Fawner, who was our pod episode, remember? And she talks about how every student can be a, a writer, which could be another whole episode. Um, and she talks specifically about the first author software package. Uh, Then our buddy Lance McElmore, who came on, uh, who is an AAC user, and he talks about uh, key guards and tactile cues that he he uses with his device. And then Mo Booty, who was our IEP episode, uh, where she's going to talk about something she uses for students with autism uh, called a volume meter, and how students can use this volume meter to help regulate their volume. 
Love, love, love. Volume is one of those ones where you don't really think about it, especially when it comes to AAC, but it's such an important skill for children to learn. Both children with autism who are verbal. I was telling you the story, Chris, I have this little girl who comes into my office twice a week and we always work on the volume of her hellos. She'll come in sometimes and she'll be screaming like, hi, Rachel. And then other times she'll be like, hi, Rachel. And I'm like, a little louder or like a little softer. And she's like, it's really hard for her to regulate the volume of her voice. So of course we know visual supports are so helpful for that. Um, so of course I've been using some visuals with her that have been really helpful, but um, definitely a really great operational AAC skill for kids to learn on their devices. Because oftentimes kids come in, they're activating buttons on their device and somebody probably, you know, at school who hasn't talked to me yet, turned the volume all the way down. Um, and so it's barely audible. And so we need to teach kids how to repair those communication breakdowns. So volume, teaching volume is such a really uh, great skill to, to do that. I couldn't agree more. Okay. Well, if you guys haven't joined our Facebook group, please join the fun. We have so many great discussions going on in there. Um, lots of fun pictures that people upload. So just search Talking With Tech and you can join our group. If you haven't left us a review on iTunes, we would be so forever grateful. Uh, we talked all in this episode already about how we want to get our message out, how it's so important for SLPs to you know, know when to refer out for AAC. And the, the way that happens is if you guys share the podcast. So sharing it, you know, with, with groups and friends and, um, you know, people who you think might benefit. Um, and then of course, leaving a review on iTunes. You might say they're obligated to share. Yeah. All right. So without further ado, let's listen to the small talk episodes with Aaron Sheldon, Kelly Fawner, Lance McElmore, and Mo Booty. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication? So here I am recording a small talk episode with Aaron Sheldon. Welcome back to the podcast, Aaron. Thanks, Chris. So I'm in the actual room with you today because we are in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, presenting, not together. I mean, we're at the same conference, but we're not presenting the same sessions. I would love to be in your sessions. What are they about? I have been talking a lot about descriptive teaching, about how to make sure that we're supporting our AAC users to access the curriculum by using their AAC vocabulary to redefine and learn about the curriculum rather than kind of the typical show me this point to that, you know, filling their vocabulary up with words like sarcophagus or chrysalis or... Mm -hmm you know, even all of the American state capitals rather than, let's just learn how to talk about them. Let's what? use the words we got to talk about what we're learning about. So my, my own daughter is learning the state capitals right now. And I even question when you can just go Amazon device, what's the capital of Iowa? 
she can just speak to the air, and the air answers her now. So right. why does she have to memorize the capital? Well, that was one of the things we talked about, that if you can describe what it is you're thinking about, then you are always a Google search away from any information, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yes. So if we, can, if we can make sure that our kids have access to those everyday words to ask a question to find their, their answer, then we don't have to focus so much on memorization of correct answers. So, but it's a skill to have to, to, as a teacher, it's a skill to have to think about how do I rephrase my, what I'm asking when I'm teaching in a way that someone could answer on their communication device, right? So right. instead of saying, like you said, mummy, we'd actually have to use words like, what, old? Old, dead, nasty was what one student defined it as. Perfect, perfect, yeah. perfect. And And it's teachers learning how to ask, tell me about, Mm -hmm. rather than... That's a great strategy. What is this correct answer? Almost start every sentence with tell me about mm-hmm. rather than what is. Yeah. Uh, that leaves it much more open-ended mm-hmm. for, instead of a response that has to be either this right. black or white response. Cool. And where I've really been focused, because I, I really focus on the most emergent kids, so what do we do with the kids who aren't expressively using AAC yet? And simply saying tell me won't get us anything well that's what we model mm-hmm. right and so just what are the simplest strategies are the easiest to implement so that we can learn how to model those words that tell you about a mummy so you know getting two or three classmates together and using really fancy high-tech stuff like a photocopied bubble map <laughs> to just have that as just a little bit of a frame to go, okay, all we have to do is come up with eight words to describe a mummy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Can we come up with six words, and right? I bet you they would love to do that, too. They actually love that. And mm-hmm. I find that when we tell classroom teams, I need you to model core words and provided eight language input, all mm-hmm. this, that's very intimidating. But if you say, can you take this child's app and find eight words that describe a temple or that describe a mummy, then people go into it going, oh, I don't have to already know where the words are. I can find, find them. them. Yes, it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it really invites them to explore. So I love that strategy. What yeah. a fun little takeaway. Bubble maps. Bubble I'm maps. all about bubble maps. And then once they've graduated past bubble maps, I introduce Venn diagrams. Oh, tell me more. Can, well, then we can compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. So maybe we're comparing and contrasting a tomb and a temple. Or we are comparing and contrasting uh, two states or pioneers back then to pioneer to, to how we live today or Native Americans back then to pioneers then, right? Yes. And, are you, you know? sure you weren't in my session? I talked specifically <laughs> about Jamestown and colonies and that exact thing. So not, um, not Venn diagrams, which is fantastic. I'm, I, I might create a slide and credit you for, for doing that. Because ours was a graphic organizer, though, just right. not a Venn diagram, but the same idea, comparing and contrasting. That's fantastic. If you, I find if we give classroom teams graphic organizers, it just feels more doable. You need the classroom teacher to decide what's that word in the middle. What are the mm-hmm. two things we're comparing? What's the one thing we're describing? Right. So that's really the role for the teacher is to figure out what that big idea is, mm-hmm. and then from there. Peers and educational assistants can just run with it. Yeah. I like what you said, too, about the peers. So often we hear communication devices are, well, that's his or hers. Don't touch it. Um, And this way it gets the other students involved with the modeling. And it also allows the students then to learn that tell me strategy. Right. As opposed to so often with the communication devices, it's... um, I drill questions at you, and you answer them by finding them on this magic box. Um, But this allows all students to do it. And there's a lot of kids who 
you know, maybe kids with high incidence issues who are in our regular classrooms who they find it a relief to, instead of having to come up on their own with tell me about a mummy, they can actually be using the AAC system to explore it and thinking about the words and it's kind of prompting them with words. You know, they don't have to generate the language on their own. They can mm -hmm. kind of sit there and go, okay, well, let's, you know, let's look at these describing words, which of these apply as opposed to I have to come up with yeah. it on my own. It's sort of like, if you will, like a, a word bank for writing. Exactly. Right? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's so cool. All right, well, thank you for jumping on the podcast. It, it was great to actually get to meet you face-to-face because we had, uh, like you said, we couldn't believe we hadn't actually met before because right. we've seen each other so much on Facebook and, and because we chatted on the podcast in the past. So, so thank you for taking your time and for jumping on the podcast with me. Sure, thanks for having me. So I'm back with Kelly Fawner. Kelly, this is our small talk segment where we just get a few more minutes with uh, our guests that come on the on the podcast to talk about something different than, than than what we talked about for the main episode. So so what do you got, Kelly? What have you been talking about? What have you been what do you what have you been doing? Well, one of the things that I've been out training people on is in first author, the writing curriculum. Some people know it because it's been around as a software program. But Janice Sturm worked over the last couple of years and has created the curriculum that takes you from the first stages of writing, from what I like to say from kids that would rather eat the paper than write on the paper. So from scribbling um, up until the, it tops out at second grade. So when you're writing two or three cohesive paragraphs with a topic, and it really isn't. The developmental writing scale that came out as a part of the software program was really revolutionary for a lot of people with beginning writers. Um, I know when I was a teacher in the classroom and I was really looking for something for my beginning writers, there really wasn't anything to measure writing until kids could put at least, you know, label a picture. Um, and so getting to that level, there's six levels in the developmental writing scale until you get to that level. So it really is helpful. It gives you lesson plans. Um, you don't have to be doing it electronically. I mean, you could be doing it with paper uh, or you can be looking at apps like GlowDraw or other kinds of things. There really isn't any guided specific technologies, but it is, there's several different measures you look at um, and follow kids as far as how they about being a writer. They talk about the things that they've written. If you're doing it as a group, they can present their writing to each other. One of the things that I'm excited about is I have a couple families that I'm working with over the internet um, so that they're homeschoolers. And I have a cousin that's homeschooling. And so I'm starting to get them together as a group. And we're going to try and use either Google Hangouts or Zoom so that these first and second graders, first, second, and third graders are going to be presenting their writing to each other. And it's a combination of general ed kids that are struggling writers and kids with pretty significant disabilities. Um, and then we're going to be guided by the first author writing curriculum as these homeschool moms are going to move through the lessons and the kids are going to present to each other. So I think that that's really exciting stuff. And I'm really thankful to Dr. Janet Stern for giving me something other than make it up as you go. 
<laughs> Kelly, I just love that because so much, uh, especially with early writing, especially in like traditional school, the early writing is often just for the teacher's eyes, you know? And so the idea that you're writing for an authentic audience, hey, we're going to write and share our stuff with other people, that just adds on an entire level of of meaningfulness to the to these new authors, right? And so it's you're not just doing it for no reason or because some adult told you to do it. There's a real purpose that who's someone who's going to uh, experience what you're doing. Exactly. And the other part is it's all based on research. I mean, the idea of author's chair and its influence on children's writing and its influence on their reading. Uh, Dr. Copenhaver is always talking about is, you know, what we know is the more kids read, the better readers they are, but the more they write the better readers they are. So it's never too early and it's never too late to start writing. I love it. Thanks, Kelly. You got it. And I'm here today with Lance McElmore. Awesome. All right. So Lance, you are an AAC user. Let me ask, is there, um, is there something that comes to mind that you'd like to share that has been really helpful to you about your key guard, for instance, that like why you use a key guard? Did you always use a key guard? Yes. I use a key guard. designed for people who are visually impaired. I use a key card designed for people who are visually impaired. Impaired. I use a key card designed for people who are visually impaired. There are tactile markers on it and it helps me a lot there are tactile markers on it and it helps me a lot what kind of tactile markers there are raised one was in the middle and along the sides. There are raised ones in the middle and along the sides. Gotcha, gotcha. So, Lance, do you mind me asking? So, you have a visual impairment. I mean, I saw you wear you wore glasses, but I wasn't I wasn't sure. Actually, my. <laughs> Vision is okay, but I'm severely light sensitive. Actually, my vision is okay, but I'm severely light sensitive. So, what happens when you when there's too much light, or if it's too bright? I. Get in pain and it can make some things look washed 
out. I get in pain and get pain. Make some things look washed out. Yeah, the way you're describing that is, um, I've had pink eye before, and when I've had pink eye, my light, my eyes became extremely light sensitive. So I went out. I mean, just going into the, uh, just turning on a light was extremely painful, and everything was sort of uh, blurry or washed out. Is it? So it's. I feel like I can empathize, but that's how your vision is the majority of the time. Yes, my eye eyes. Usually bother me to some degree most of the time. My eyes usually bother me to some degree most of the time. And so that's why you wear the sunglasses because it protects your eyes, protects you from the pain. Yes. Mm Gotcha. And then the, with the brightness of the device, I would imagine, also would have hurt your eyes. I had it turned down as far as it will go. I have it turned down as far as it will go. So I know that Lamp Words for Life, the app now has a a new version where it can be the high contrast mode where they've, uh, it's I think it's Lamp Words for Life for VI. Have you considered it or have you thought about that? I played around with it and I do like it, but I would have to learn new motor plans. I played around with it and I do like it, but I would have to learn new motor plans. And it would be difficult to add all the words I have added in this one. And it would be difficult to add on the words I have added in this one. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. It's not like it would just, you could export it and then import it over. You'd have to rebuild all of those words. Well, let me ask you, how many words would you estimate that you've added to the device? (laughs) If you had to ballpark it. (laughs) Is that too hard? I don't know, but it's been quite a few I should have kept a list I don't know but it's been quite a few I should have kept a list do you back up the device regularly yes yeah let me ask you this how do you decide uh, when you should add a word versus continue to type it out because like I, I think tell me if I'm wrong here when I saw you type John Halloran it was a button you you or Halloran the word uh, his last name is one hit as opposed to typing out the whole proper noun so how do you make it man I keep using this word over and over again is it finally just like I should just make a button for it or is, do you have some sort of system for that over time if I notice Using a certain word a lot, I will make a key 
forward is over time if I notice that I'm using a certain word a lot, I will make a key for it. Gotcha. So it's just sort of a feeling. Man, I keep saying this word over and over again. Yes. Yeah, you're not looking at your at your uh, MTI file, meaning you're uh, you're not looking, you're not analyzing the words that you use over and over again and say, hmm, okay, it's just a more of a feeling. Yes. All right. Cool. Let me ask: Do you record what you're typing? Do you keep the MTI file? Do you know what I mean by the MTI file? I, I'm calling it MTI file. Me, lamb, data. Do you mean lamb data? Yes, exactly. I, I guess the MTI file is the Unity version, but I don't think I have ever turned it on. I don't think I have ever turned it on. Gotcha. I would probably be. Embarrassed if people saw mm -hmm. some of the things I say. I would probably be embarrassed if people saw some of the things I say. I know. It, it, it would be like recording everything that is said, and then people could look at it and analyze it and spin it and twist it. And, and even if they didn't, be like, I don't want everything I've ever said recorded. Yeah, I totally get that. Um, let me ask you one last question. Having been a LAMP user for a couple of years, um, do you give feedback to the company? Like, why did you do it this way? We want, you should change this, this to this, you know? Have you ever given them advice about what should be different? I have suggested that it be translated into other languages. I have suggested that it be translated into other languages. I have made some suggestions about this key card. I have made some suggestions about this key card. Well, like what? There are four more markers that I think should be added. There are four more markers that I think should be added. To help you orient where you are on the on in yes. space? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. And do you feel like they're pretty receptive? Yes, but John explained to me that it isn't cheap to make new ones. Yes, but John explained to me that it isn't cheap to make new ones. So what I've been experimenting with, this is, um, is uh, 3D printing. You know, this whole thing about the maker movement. I don't know if you stayed, how long you were at ATIA, but there was a whole maker space where people are 3D printing stuff and there's whole clubs that are 3D printing. And I could imagine, at least for the reason you're using the key guard, that someone could take your key guard 
create a file from it, make the adaptations that you're asking, print out it, and then, because it doesn't have to be super durable, right? I mean, am I thinking of that right? Or you know, like, tell me where I'm flawed in my thinking. Yes. Mm -hmm. I had thought about it, but I don't know anyone who could do that. I have thought about it, but I don't know anyone who could do that. All right. Well, like I said, there are clubs popping up all over the place. And um, Bill Binko, who uh, was at ATIA and kind of uh, initiated the AT makerspace there at ATIA, uh, he would be a good person to contact. Or I mean, maybe I can contact him or put you in contact, or maybe I can ask him about it. Because that seems like a, a need that keeps coming up, is that these key guards are expensive. There might be a fix there. It would be to sick a bunch of college-age students, maybe high school students, on this problem. Hey, we have key guards, but can we uh, reverse engineer this key guard, make these few adaptations, so when everyone breaks or we need to make something special, you know, maybe there's someone else that needs, uh, you know, even more than 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 the number of uh, uh, visual supports, you know, or tactile supports. They could make just little modifications to the file and then print it out. You know, that seems like it'd be a lot less expensive. It's just a, a matter of putting the right people on it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, awesome. All right, well, Lance, thank you so much for, again for taking even extra time to talk with me. Uh, and I, I'll be in touch. I'll let you know how this all goes. I really appreciate your time. I am. Anxious to hear how it turns out. I am anxious to hear how it turns out. Well, I think it's going to be great, absolutely. And I'll share the link with you uh, as soon as we put it out. Thanks. Thanks, Lance. So I'm here with Mo Booty. Hi, Mo. How's it going? Hi, great. How are you? Good. So we do these small talk episodes or segments where we just ask our guests to, to give us a little bit something else different from the topic that the whole episode was about. So do you have any stories or something to share, a tool strategy? Oh, yes. I always have a story. Let me tell you about a great, a great guy. His name is Isaac. Isaac got placed in a therapeutic day school because, wait for this, he was too loud for public school. That's right, too loud. So they placed him in a therapeutic school. I happened to be there one of the week, maybe a second week there, and um, I was in the office, and I hear this yelling, which I was worried, so I come running down the hall to see if I can help, open the door, and there's four students together reading a unique learning system story, and he is very loudly saying, the suspense is killing me. And sure enough, he was the loud person and it was very loud. But um, the teacher says, oh yeah, um, don't turn the page yet until your friend finishes. So uh, ironically, they had read this story three times already, <laughs> but the suspense was killing him. So I said, wow, so okay, they placed me here because he's too loud. Yeah, he's loud. So I made a visual volume meter color-coded it, had numbers one through five, 
showed it to him, talked about it to him, and we started putting it into use. That simple visual strategy that was color-coded and numbered and modeled allowed him to be so successful, used at home. Mom says, we can go to church now because we have a volume one on the meter. <laughs> he goes to the grocery store because you had a volume one on the meter. I mean, it was great. If he was excited about something at school, yeah, he would get loud and we would just, you know, point to the number two and or show the number two fingers. It got so used so often that the students knew how to cue him as well. But the end of the story is he is back at his neighborhood school using his volume meter. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. So paint the picture for me what the volume meter looks like. Does it look like a temperature thermometer or like a um, gas gauge? You know? So it is a eight by eleven and it is laminated because you know how a special ed teachers love to laminate things. And um it is like um from the left going to the right a bar gets bigger so the left one is a small bar with the number zero with like basically um a mouth with an x over it because the zero is like no talking right and then number one might be a little bit bigger of a bar almost like a bar graph that kind of bar um and it'll be a different color and it'll be the number one and then there'll be like a little image to represent what like the one volume is all the way up to um, level five, which he's really good at. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was super successful. He could take it anywhere. Mom shrunk it up to a smaller size, brought it to church, brings it in the grocery store. And um, just that simple little strategy. And like I said, his loudness was nothing more but excitement about education. <laughs> like he was excited about this story, even though he read it three times. And he was really loud. But he, that visual, I mean, he learned that so quickly that I remember telling the team, think about how quickly he learned this strategy. What other things can we use for him that is color-coded or visual or numbered or whatever it is that he can also learn other skills to help him to be more independent? Gosh, I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah that is so great. It way, it's because not only does it help him and he internalizes it using that visual, but it helps all the other people in his environment learn how to better help him too. So yeah. just fantastic, fantastic story. Thanks, Mo. Appreciate it. Thank Anyone you. Bye-bye now. Bye. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.